America's got money problems, inflation, out-of-control debt and spending, and it's only getting worse. But there's hope. Solving America's money problems, one hour at a time. It's time for Good Money with Tho Bishop. Good morning. This is Good Money with Tho Bishop. I am the aforementioned Tho Bishop, and this is a product of the Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org, is where you can find more content like what we will provide on this show. And the main goal here on Good Money is to help break down the consequences of the politicalization of the economy. And for this week's show, um, coming off of Independence Day, and I hope you and yours had a great one. Tuesday, Independence Day always creates for an interesting dynamic for the work week. Uh, but one of the things I always enjoy during Independence Day is revisiting the reason for the season, the Declaration of Independence, and uh, reading the uh, issues at play then that sparked the founding of this country, the severing of ties with the British crown. And uh, it's, it's interesting, some parallels that you find between the issues the concerns of the colonists, of the Founding Fathers, and the environment that we find ourselves in. And I think, and spoiler alert, there's going to be an economic hook at the end of it. Um, you know, but within the Declaration of Independence, um, you know, we have the go-to line of we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and uh, that we, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, the right among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a playoff of Locke's life, liberty, and property. Later on, you, you get the, the very detailed, the, the, the bullet points of grief, grievances. And um, I'm going to share some of these, and you can tell me if you find any relevance in our current situation. Um, so among the facts uh, submitted to, to a candid world, by Jefferson and the boys. Um, The king of England uh, refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. The king would not follow the law. Um, He would uh, uh, obstruct the administration of justice by refusing his assent to the laws. Um, He would uh, keep armed agents amongst the population. It was a very interesting study that uh, our guest today and I talked about last week, which is the degree to which federal law enforcement agents in this country now outnumber the Marines in terms of armed you – know, we're not talking about the armed forces, but armed divisions of you know, the Department of Education, the IRS, all these interesting internal agencies that now have for themselves – um, a SWAT team or two, and uh, it's a very interesting internal guard that are, are sp- uh, spread all around this nation. Um, the crown uh, cut off trade with all other with, with other parts of the world. Um, opposed taxes, obviously, without consent. Um, had a dual standard of law for those that served the crown and those in the colonies. Um, You know, what we see is this continual theme 
of a dual standard of justice, a restriction of economic activity that the colonists um, had been used to as subjects of the crown, um, and just the erosion of political norms that became uh, intolerable for those that had within the New World established colonial governments, had standing entities of, of order, all of which were being undermined by a empire abroad that were, among other things, trying to use the colonies to deal with some internal debt problems that had fallen on the the, the king after uh, various foreign wars, other dynamics there, um, some of them in England's defense, a defense of uh, the colonies, the, the French and Indian War. But ultimately, you know, it was a economic crisis that led to a erosion of justice that helped spark the birth of the United States of America. America today, while the crown is no longer overseas, but is in a city far away from Tampa, Florida, um, we are seeing a lot of the same dynamics. And in in particular, the burden of debt from the decisions of our contemporary crown uh, are a real problem that affect us in a variety of ways. In fact, they've become such a problem that uh, yesterday in the New York Times, of all places, the editorial board, so this wasn't some token uh, you know, conservative uh, Wall Street Journal type that they occasionally allow into their opinion page, but the editorial board of the New York Times uh, had a, you know, for relative to the standards of the New York Times, a pretty decent article breaking down uh, this these brewing economic problems, the title of which is America is Living on Borrowed Money, and that is certainly the case. The American debt clock at this point stands north of 32 trillion dollars. That comes down to $96,000 per citizen, or if you want to refine it to simply taxpayers, uh, $251,000 per taxpayer. And if you look at the usdebtclock.org, you can see those numbers continually going up. Um, And of course, what we've seen is a complete unwillingness to, to seriously consider this. We have a series of stunts, the most recent of which the negotiations over the debt ceiling, um, which seems to come about every few years, where you have, have a lot of huffing and puffing and you have Republicans talking about serious fiscal reforms and dealing with entitlements and the like, and then that's never popular, so Republicans kind of cave on those and they create some sort of half-hearted measure. They get the Democrats on board and the can gets kicked down the road further. Uh, unfortunately, America is a nation in debt historic debt. These are levels, you know, even if you equate for, you know, growth in the larger economy as a whole, um, it is increasingly burdensome problem. And when you consider that 
the era of low interest rates that America's had in this country, you know, really since after the, the 2008 financial crisis, you know, the, the Fed's response, 09, 010, the doubling down with various forms of quantitative easing, uh, the, the resurgence after a slight pivot upwards during the COVID eras, um, this, this period of incredible low interest rates of, of free money, of easy money. For one, it incentivized governments, the U.S. included, to not have to deal with the consequences of this ever-ballooning public debt. Um, but now, as rates go up, as the New York Times notes and has been discussed on this show, um, your payment on the debt in this country is surpassing the already high cost of uh, the, the military budget. The, 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 and that's a, that's a pretty, that is an incredible historical abnormality that is not, you know, that, that we are told to accept told not to worry about. DC's working on it, and yet no movement is done. There's also has consequences in the private sector. Um, there are a variety of, of interesting articles out there about credit card debt in the U.S. right now, um, how savings rates are plummeting after increases during COVID. People were spending less, going out less, um, still had paychecks coming in. Savings went up during that period, but are quickly being drained away in part because of the prices of everything going up, um, but also because of habits that our financial world has created over this past decade. So we're going to be looking into this issue of a debted nation with Ryan McMakin, my co-host on Radio Rothbard. So stay tuned. On the other side of this break, we'll be diving into this issue on Money Talk 1010. Good morning. We are good money. On this Thursday morning, I am your host, Tho Bishop. This is a product of the Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org. It's where you can find more content like this show. And we've got a special deal for Money Talk 1010 listeners. We have a free magazine that comes out twice or every other month. The Austrian magazine. It's a beautiful Print publication feels good in your hand. Uh, not, not one of those uh, uh, thin papered free giveaway magazines that you might find at the uh, grocery store or the like. This is a, a great publication that features excellent economic commentary from scholars from all around the world uh, diving deeper into some of the real issues out there. Uh, we've got some, some great content on our most recent, uh, recent issue. Um, including Alex Pollock, who is a, a great uh, Fed uh, analyst. He's been doing work on the insolvency issues of the Fed, um, the way that some of the, uh, the, the assets on their balance sheet uh, have, have not aged well, let's say, um, some of the problems coming from that. Uh, and also a nice little, little segment there on uh, how Mises.org content was used, has been, been used on Twitter to fact check some of the political rhetoric out there going on. Um, so you can get your copy of The Austrian Magazine at Mises.org slash magazine. And this is free, straight to your doorstep every other month. If you enjoy this show or the other fine content on Money Talk 1010, I think you will enjoy it. Uh, the editor-in-chief of The Austrian Magazine, 
is our guest for today's show, my co-host Ryan McMakin on our podcast Radio Rothbard, available on all major podcast platforms, where every week we kind of look at the, the news cycle, um, touch on matters of politics, matters of history, sometimes some economic content from now and then. Today we are going to be talking about this larger issue of America as a debtor nation, and uh, we can look at that from a variety of fronts. One is the burdens that the federal government has created for itself, again, over $32 trillion. And at some point, these numbers get so high, the warning signs come out so regularly that it's easy to, to gloss our eyes over, have our eyes gloss over at the, the, the concerns of this runaway physical uh, dynamic that we have. But it's important to understand the role that it's not simply political spending – that creates these issues, but the role that Federal Reserve policy has played in incentivizing this, again, in an era of low interest rates, um, kind of helped create a generation of politicians that no longer even sought to pay lip service to the debt, create an entire dynamic of economic denialism that kind of saw whatever political project a politician has uh, kind of looking at it as simply a matter of political will, rather any economic concerns, whether the issues are trying to revolutionize and, and radically, rad, uh, radically reform our energy consumption, right? Some of the, the Green New Deal stuff, um, big ambitions on nationalizing healthcare industry and, and medical providers in this country. Whatever big, big political projects you have, it becomes a whole lot easier when we're doing a low interest rate environment. And so, Ryan, um, looking at both the public side of the debt, we've also got private issues with credit card debt skyrocketing, savings going down. Um, you know, can, let's just start off with a question that many of our audiences might have. Is this really an issue? Um, again, it's, it's often been a, a political pinata that politicians talk about, something that no one seems to really care about dealing. What are the real consequences to America's debt problems that we have right now, and this is something that average people should be concerned about. Well, I think the effect that people should probably be worried about most is the Japanification of the U.S. or Western European economy. And all too often the discussion about high debt levels really focuses a lot on some big, obvious, catastrophic event, which of course could happen. Um, but often those catastrophic events lead to a correction, um, a fairly short-term correction in the problem. But <clears throat> what happens when you have Japanification is that it just slowly drains the economy <laughs> and productivity goes down, wealth accumulation goes down, the standard of living goes down very slowly because this is what has happened in Japan. They haven't, in spite of massive debt levels... Uh, huge amounts of government spending, low levels of productivity due to uh, all sorts of controls on the economy, controls on foreign trade, uh, controls on how employment is done by the private sector, uh, not to mention huge amounts of spending, that what happens over time is rather than just some big catastrophe uh, that everybody notices, you just have the standard of living, literally just the air is slowly let out of it over time. Most people don't appreciate just how much Japanese workers continue to work for a declining standard of living, uh, smaller amounts of housing, uh, smaller cars, um, 
lower quality products and services. A lot of the best stuff they produce is really for export. Um, but people think Japan is like one of the richest countries in the world. But if you were actually to calculate which countries have the highest standards of living, the highest disposable incomes, Japan is not even in the top 10. It's not near the top of the list.、Uh, and it's been getting worse over time as it declines. And that's a product of its、uh, debt based economy. Um, which they've only managed to avoid high levels of inflation,、um, debt driven inflation, because they have such a tradition of saving and frugality,、um, which probably won't work in the West. <laughs> You'll probably have higher inflation and、uh, more political upheaval as a result of that inflation than you would have in Japan, which is、uh, famous. For the fact that、uh, people decide to、uh, just grin and bear whatever the government is doing to them. So, these are real political issues that、uh, we need to look out for. And it's, it's very common historically. That's the thing. That's why the central bank worries about inflation. It's why it worries about massive amounts of debt, because debt leads to inflation. And inflation leads to political unrest. This is, if there's a law of politics、uh, that you could actually say has、uh, very predictable outcomes, it's that. It's that once you get into high levels of inflation, people start to get real antsy. They start to、uh, see that their standard of living is going down. They start to see that they can't afford the cost of living like they used to. And that leads to unrest. And political powers fear that. So that's. That's really kind of the end game of all of this. And we're really looking at the, our gradual progression toward that right now. There's different ways it could end. It could end in the Japanese way, or it could end in something more spectacular where you have more obvious、uh, political unrest, like something you had throughout、um, Europe in the 1930s, for example. So it just, there's a few different scenarios. But the fact of the matter is, is that,、uh, as you noted earlier, Right, in the age of absolutism, the 17th and 18th century, you have these monarchs who spent profusely on wars. Same was true in France as well. I mean, it's not an accident that the Bourbon monarchs were hugely in debt when the revolution happened.、Um, that, uh, that's all tied to massive debt levels and the resulting inflation. So that's something you need to, to、uh, be aware of, and you can't just pretend it's never going to happen. And that you're just going to grow yourself out of it. And that is really just something that doesn't matter and you don't have to worry about it. At some point, you really do run out of money or run out of the ability to just keep、uh, printing more money to cover your shortfall. So that's, that's something we need to be aware of. Yeah, that, almost that, that boiling frog dynamic where the, the, you know, if, if people, it, it is easy for people not to recognize what is really going on in, in an interest rate, you know, low interest rate environment like the, Fed is, like the Fed created for well over a decade, something that has been. Um, you know, imported or exported、uh, around the globe,、um, creating a really a, a global debt problem.、Um, you know, the ways that, you know, we, we think about outlay of resource allocation or makes it so much easier for the government's role in various sectors of the economy to grow and grow without it being seen as an obvious problem. You know, it's, it's that, that slow boil. That can really help sort of normalize some of these bad economic policies that until you get to that pressure point, and we've seen that pressure point,、um, you know, as the Fed responded, you know, responded to the inflationary environment, which for a while there, they're trying to ignore it's all transitory, yada, yada, blame it on COVID, on supply chains, on other issues outside of their own problems. Surprise, surprise.、Um, you know, it's when you have this, this new dynamic of high debt levels 
and rising interest rates, which are not only a problem for the government, we're seeing it play out within the, the housing sector, where well, Florida is kind of an interesting case right now where real estate prices have continued to be pretty high, part of it because of the, the influx of people that continue to trickle in um, to the, the state of Florida for a variety of reasons, politics, weather, culture, variety of other things. Um, you, know, you, you combined housing prices that are, that, that are still high um, with mortgage rates or in other parts of the country where, mortgage, where, where housing prices are going down and yet the real cost of housing is kept up higher for buyers that rely upon lending um, because of mortgage, uh, because of interest rates, a, a 7% mortgage on a $150,000 house. Um, you know, is, is, is a lot less attractive than $200,000 house at a 3% interest rate. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a, it's, it's a whole different dynamic that Americans are having to, to, to deal with right now. You see it reflected in credit card rates. I mean, and, and, and there's, there's been such an expansion in the way that different financial products have been offered to consumers, right? I mean, you, you can put on your, your Walmart delivery shopping list. Uh, you, you, you can put it into to a variety of, of interest-paying payments now. Uh, you can buy pizza on credit at this point, and you combine that with this rising interest rate environment. It's a whole new level of pressures, and that kind of feeds into this larger dynamic where a the, the, the economic environment that is a product of deliberate physical policies sets into place different cultural dynamics and it, it creates this really disturbing issue where if you were someone who, you know, is a big fan of, of Dave Ramsey and, and you know, kept, you know, sell credit cards of the devil and, and avoided um, taking on debt during, you know, the 2010s, while that, you know, you, you, you're kind of being played as a sucker because you weren't being able to take advantage of this credit environment. People, people catch up to that. They over binge on debt and now they're dealing with the pressures of the of of, of, a, of a of a whole new interest rate environment, um, you know the, the way that it it fund that the, the economic incentives that policymakers have created have, have have warped the way that so many of us interact with this real economy is is a major problem and one that is not easy to break once you have behaviors kind of set in as as a nation. Yeah, that's that's something that needs to be noted as well, uh, is the fact that people had the impression that there's really no cost to massive amounts of spending because interest rates remained low for a long time. Uh, and this is a, a phenomenon of really just the 30-year period that ended uh, in 2022 because what you had happen was uh, thanks to the greenspan put and a lot of deliberate federal reserve policy of driving down interest rates in order to drive up asset prices uh, there was a deliberate policy to drive up housing prices and drive up stock prices to keep investors happy and <clears throat> that was done uh, partly through ensuring that interest rates were low as a policy of the central bank and so that did lead to inflation. It led to asset price inflation. Uh, if you ever complained that home prices were going up too high as a first-time home buyer, you were noticing that inflation. It just hadn't manifested itself yet in ordinary consumer prices much until 2022. But it was there. The inflation was there, and uh, money creation is unpredictable. Um, and so you just didn't really know where it was going to manifest itself 
or when it ended up manifesting itself in 2022 with 40-year highs in year-over-year inflation growth. But for that 30 years right up to that, it seemed like money was free in terms of massive amounts of new debt. So new government debt, new credit card debt, um, buy a bunch of houses and rent them out sort of debt because uh, interest rates are very, very low. And that uh, that gives a false impression that you can just keep creating money and you can just keep going deeper into debt and there isn't really any cost. And people are starting to now encounter that, oh, it turns out there is a cost to outrageously high home prices because now my mortgage is at 6%. And so that's a big problem for me unless prices come down significantly. Or even the the real problem is the fact that the federal government could take on huge amounts of debt, but only pay 1% on the government debt uh, that they had to adopt. So it seemed like, hey, no big deal. We'll just take on a couple extra trillion dollars. We only got to pay 1% on it. We'll just roll it over. Uh, we'll just take on new debt to pay off the old debt. It's no big deal. Uh, but even at 1%, you were getting to the point where you were spending $300 billion or more on uh, just debt service on those required uh, regular payments on the debt. And then once interest rates double, uh, they go up to just 2% or up to 3 4 5% as uh, some of the shorter-term treasuries now are at. Well, now you're paying, uh, you're, combined, you're paying $600, $700 billion. And as you noted, the defense budget is around like, uh, let's say, $800, $900 billion. Uh, depending on uh, just how far back you go uh, last year or this year, it's going to be soon breaking a trillion dollars. And you're going to be looking at debt levels that are getting up uh, or debt service levels that are getting up to that level as well. So that's just a huge drain on the economy. So when you're looking at these old people who are like, hey, where's my Social Security? Where's my Medicare? Where's all my free stuff? Well, suddenly they're going to be talking about cutting that to just pay off the debt from earlier periods. And that's going to be not be very politically popular. And then that leads you back to that unrest we talked about before. But of course, I mean, luckily, though, uh, I, I see all these advertisements now from the banks in my neighborhood about how all, you know, at least you can get a, a, a great rate on a CD. And in the current environment, as interest rates go up, you, you can get a full uh, four and a half percent return off of a of, off of a three year CD note, which unfortunately, when inflation is is at four percent or more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't don't know how how much that that really helps um, people trying to find a safe haven in in this environment. And of course, that's one of the interesting problems that we have right now is that even when we think about the inflation periods of the seventies and and things like that, um, you know, the, the healthy economy, you, you could still get you could still find a CD that that outpaced. The, the value of your of, of the inflationary pressures out there, or, or you, you think about the uh, mortgage payments back then, you, you were dealing with a, a lot less inflated of a housing uh, ho- housing stock and this, that, and the other. And so this is really an a, a, a entirely different environment um, that we have right now. And I, I think that's something that it, it, it can't be emphasized enough, is that while problems like inflation, um, you know, 
we, we, we can think we can see other periods of this throughout history. The there are still unique and novel aspects because of how in- incredibly reckless our policymakers have been that create struggles that they do not seem wise to, to understanding. So we'll continue this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Good Money here on Money Talk 1010 with Ryan McMake of the Mises Institute. Welcome back to Good Money on your Thursday morning. This is the product of the Mises Institute, and we've got a special deal just for you. Economic literacy is one of the important things that you can have and something that is desperately lacking with younger generations. We have two great books uh, that are uh, accessible to if you have a, a high school and or a senior in high school, if you've got someone going off to college, if you yourself just want to know more about what is really going on in the broader economy. We've uh, got a special bundle at Mises.org slash good. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org slash G-O-O-D, like good money. Uh, the two books included for just $5 are uh, What Has Government Done to Our Money by Murray Rothbard, a classic in understanding the history of the dollar, of the Fed, of money as a unit in civilized society. And the other is How to Think About the Economy written by Oklahoma State Professor Per Byland, a great introduction into economic reasoning. Again, two books for just $5 at Mises.org slash good. Use promo code GOODMONEY, one word, G-O-O-D-M-O-N-E-Y, and shipping and handling is included. So two books, just $5 flat, delivered to your doorstep. You can get that at Mises.org slash good. Someone who knows what government has done to our money is our guest today, Ryan McMakin. Um, my co-host on Radio Rothbard, available on all major podcast platforms, a prolific economic writer and editor uh, at Mises.org. And we are talking today about America and our debt problems. Um, and there's an article on Yahoo Finance I saw this week that kind of broke down some of the – their headline is great. is the jaw-dropping stats about the state of debt in America as, as – uh, Two people that, that help with, with uh, clickbait titles for economic articles. I, I, can, I can appreciate that one. Um, but some of the stats here are that uh, 33% of Americans believe it'll, it'll take more than two years to pay off their credit card debts. Over half of Americans need credit cards to cover essential uh, living expenses. Um, you know, uh, most Americans have missed at least one credit card payment. And 44% of Americans would use credit cards to cover a $2,000 emergency and so what you have right now is, is, is kind of a two-sided issue. One is the degree to which we are de- addicted to debt and dealing with day-to-day life. But the other side of it, of course, is the diminishment of savings. Um, I know this is a particular big problem whenever I talk to, to friends, my, my fellow millennials. Um, you know, a, having a, a savings account is something of a, a point of uh, a gallows humor, with, uh, with with many people my age, uh, I saw like, like stand up uh, routine earlier talking about uh, how how they, they don't save or they 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 refuse to spend their money on uh, in video game currency um, because a video game is the only imaginative world where they can even think about having having money in the the, the coffer there. And of course, this is, this is a larger problem that the incentives that policymakers have made have made have really. Um, diminished the role that savings have, you know, are playing here. And of course, savings really are the bedrock of stable 
economic growth, that, that not being able to save away for a rainy day, it limits the ability for individual Americans to have the flexibility of creating a new business venture, of having a level of security for themselves, which breeds a further culture of dependency, the needing for, for some new government program um, to provide those services that they can't provide. It, it, it creates this, again, ad, adds to this larger cultural dynamic that is uh, you know, ultimately anti-capitalist in nature, more dependent upon the state for their needs, and breaks down a lot of that old American um, spirit of self-reliance and entrepreneurship. And so, Ryan, can we talk, talk a little bit about the, the, the larger problems of a nation that is not used to saving, which is kind of the flip side of a nation that is addicted to debt? Well, I think it's the result of just our sad state of economic theory in that uh, the economists, the economics profession, largely taken over by Keynesian-style thinking, uh, John Maynard Keynes, probably certainly one of its uh, loudest proponents would be Paul Krugman at the New York Times, which is that every economic problem can be solved by increasing demand. That is, get people spending more money, and then that'll create economic growth somehow, and then everything will be fine. This gets everything on its, uh, puts everything on its head from what it should have been. The, uh, the better theory to start from is Say's Law, which uh, Keynes never engaged and never disproved. And this comes from uh, Jean-Baptiste Say, uh, a great French economist, and Say essentially said that, look, if you want to spend things, if you want to spend, you have to produce first. The way you get resources to spend and to consume is to produce something first. And that's what a sound economy is based upon, is based upon savings, which leads to investment, which leads to capital accumulation, which leads to better production. Because once you have capital accumulation, you can create factories, you can uh, create machine tools, you can uh, innovate and create things that uh, help you create wealth more efficiency with less labor. And that is how real wealth is produced. Real wealth is based on savings and investment, not on just spending more. But the economy is based currently in the minds of policymakers on spending. So how do we get people spending more? Well, when we decide to shut down the economy, thanks to covid we're just going to print up $2.2 trillion. And that way people keep spending money. Then it'll be fine. The problem, of course, is that they're not producing anything. So this produces then uh, huge imbalances, produces price inflation, also wrecks the economy in terms of bringing things to a standstill, uh, ruining logistics. And so now you have ongoing shortages, you have uh, capital destruction, and that's what we're witnessing now. And the capital destruction results also from just this high debt environment and people obsessed with spending. And they've got this fear of missing out. If I don't spend, if I don't uh, put all of my money into the next get rich quick scheme, instead of simply saving it for a medium or long term period, that's what I need to be doing. Whereas if they wanted to actually build a sustainable and strong economy, they would just be saving it and investing it in a uh, lower risk fashion. 
Uh, but the the way that central bankers and the way the economy works right now, they want to get everyone spending. So it's perfectly fine then. Then you go deeply into debt in terms of credit card bills. You're uh, putting 60% of your household income toward paying your mortgage on your 900-square-foot house. This is all fine to them because they'll just uh, – they'll some at some point in the future, they'll fix it all by forcing down interest rates again. Somehow, magically, they'll do that without causing more price inflation. And then, if necessary, they'll just print up a few trillion dollars, and then you'll have more money to spend, and they'll give you a minimum basic income or something like that. And so that's that's the fundamental uh, problem with economic thinking now is this idea that just spend more. And whether you're actually producing anything doesn't particularly matter. Um, you just get spending and everything will be fine. Um, but we see what the reality of that is, is that uh, people are going more deeply into debt. They don't have any savings for emergencies. This leads to real anxiety, real problems, and then uh, ultimately political problems when people realize that uh, they're getting ripped off by this system where they can't save because interest rates are constantly being pushed down. Um, they can't save and and receive a return that beats inflation. So they're just gradually getting poorer and poorer. I mean, Bloomberg uh, yesterday had an article showing that the part of the reason the middle class feels so down is that actually their wealth has declined substantially over the last year. And because it's getting hollowed out by inflation and uh, the returns that they can expect on any sort of investments are just too low the way the economy is constructed. It favors the wealthy and it punishes the middle-class conservative saver. So that's where we are right now, and just spending more isn't going to fix the economy. Well, it's always, a, I, I take it as a, it's a bad sign where you see uh, people on financial Twitter and the like openly rooting for bad economic news out of the logic that bad economic news means that the Fed is less likely to continue raising rates and when that is the only thing they care about, um, it, it might show some, some underlying weakness going on there, the ability to have access to cheap debt to keep up some of these zombie companies, some of these uh, uh, corporations that have never been profitable. Um, again, some, some, some major names out there, I mean, you, brands like Uber and the like, um, that, that have long been reliant upon the ability to just simply kind of kick their, their financial uh, can down the road by uh, re-upping uh, loans with, with lower and lower rates. Um, that, that does not seem like a healthy economy. And if one of the um, you know, yesterday, the the Dow took a hit um, with the expectation now that the Fed is going to, after a, a pause last time, um, they they do seem likely to increase rates uh, yet again, probably another quarter percentage point or the like um, the next time they gather. Um, you know, to, to end off here with our listeners, what what should we expect? What, what do you expect from the Fed going forward? You know, are, do, do you expect them to continue to rise until we get to that sort of crisis point that creates an issue? Or do you eventually see the political pressures of the mount, you know, particularly with election season next year? Um, do you think it's more likely the Fed pivots? Or you know, what, what, what should normal people be looking, should be expecting from the Fed going forward? And, and, and is there any way of knowing, given that the Fed has been uh, uh, giving mixed messages for, for years now in terms of the seriousness on which they take issues like inflation? I think there's a decent chance that the Fed could continue to raise rates uh, at this next meeting, at least uh, 25 basis points, a quarter percent. 
uh, at a time. However, I think it's fairly predictable that as soon as you start to get obviously bad economic news in terms of employment, the Federal Reserve it reverse itself and immediately start looking at lowering rates and engaging in easy money policy. Again, I don't think anyone at the central bank, which is, of course, not remotely politically independent, like many economists uh, ridiculously believe, uh, they respond to political pressure from Washington all the time. And if you start to get rising unemployment, uh, you start to look like you're in some sort of economic crisis, which we are in a slow-mo crisis right now. But because of the relatively strong job numbers that still persist, they can make the case that, hey, uh, everything's fine, so maybe we can hold rates or, or increase rates slightly. So I think that could persist for a few more months, but I think once the numbers really weaken, then just get ready for another round of easy money, and that's just going to perpetuate the crisis uh, into the future. More kicking the can down the road. Yeah, the, the degree to which communication tools and the ability to gaslight the public is the core of, of the Fed's uh, uh, management <laughs> policy uh, uh, tools that they have right now is, uh, is, is certainly something fascinating. Um, but thank you, Ryan, for, for joining us on this episode of Good Money. You can find more from Ryan McMakin at Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org. He is someone who writes on an incredible number of topics and the executive editor of the site. And so thank you for, for coming on and uh, always enjoy our conversations. We'll continue. We'll close up this episode on the other side of the break. This is Good Money here on Money Talk 1010. Welcome back to Good Money in our final segment on this Thursday morning. If you're out there dealing with the I-4 traffic, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully that will be cleared up sooner rather than later. Um, though I know I- I-4 traffic is no joke on a good day, much less when half of it is shut down. Um, so my-, my thoughts and prayers are with those dealing with that on your morning commute right now. Um, again, the Good Money is a product of the Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org, is where you can find more content like this. On our front page today, we've got a, a diverse group of different issues. Um, always during Fourth of July week, um, we, we always have a few articles dedicated to American history, um, which I think is, is an important lens to have when trying to navigate whether contemporary economic environments, contemporary political environments, there's a wisdom that comes from knowing the past. And it's something that is, is not always, you know, we, we are dealing with a um, far too often a intellectually uncurious society generally. And history in particular is a subject that there's always an element of ideology that goes into, and this is, this is you know, neither a, a, a criticism um, you know, or, or, or some, some moral aggrandizing, um, no matter what perspective you have, there's always an element in which understanding uh, the facts and details of historical period requires some form of lens to view it by. And the Mises Institute um, has a tremendous amount of content that is very much grounded within the uh, classical liberal tra- tradition that inspired the founding of America, inspired, spawn, you know, uh, expanding upon the you know, traditions, particularly of, of the, the English liberal tradition. Uh, you know, we think back to the levelers of the uh, 
that, that arose from the, the English Civil War. We could think about um, not just Locke, but Cato's Letters, um, which was a very powerful um, series of essays that inspired the Founding Fathers and their view of government. Cato's Letters were actually read more widely um, than John Locke's treatises. And from this historical perspective, one of the classical liberal lenses um, is one that views the conflicts of history from this dynamic of liberty versus power, the people versus the state. Um, in fact, it's something that was taken and given its own spin um, in very unfortunate directions uh, by Karl Marx and his uh, contemporaries, his colleagues, his comrades, I, I suppose I should say, um, that turned it into a, a theory of, of class conflict between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. But of course, these dynamics are never really as cut, as, as, as cut and dry as they and their contemporary fans would like him to believe. As Ryan mentioned in our earlier segments, the individuals that are hurt the most by this environment of politicized economy, by these, this low interest rate environment, by this heavy debt burden. It's the middle class that is so uh, demonized as you know, those effet bourgeoisie by these hardened communist thinkers of all ages. Um, and that's precisely the demographic necessary for civilizations to thrive. Um, the direct reality of this financialized environment is the those at the very top, often individuals that are subsidized in part via state privilege, comes in the form of the way that large businesses receive certain benefits that small businesses don't do. Think about the differences in the way that large banks are treated from community banks, the role that community banks play as an incubator of local economic activity and the like. Those at the very top, those that can walk the party line, they tend to do very well. Uh, no matter what the system is, there were plenty of, even, uh, uh, even in the Soviet Union, there's plenty of people at top that were living a mighty fine life. And then those at the very bottom that are weaponized by the elites that create the political pressure that is needed to prolong and expand the powers of government to rob from that middle class. That dynamic of history is one that I think really sparked some of the best political traditions in this country. And I'm not talking about party. Um, but rather the defense of laissez-faire, the defense of sound money, the defense of addressing the cronyism and the corruption that comes with the politicalization of the economy. Um, these were the anti-federalists uh, after the American Revolution. These were the Jacksonians of the 1800s. These were the Bourbon Democrats and the like, and ultimately what is necessary is for a citizenry that respects these traditions and promotes these traditions. That is our purpose here on Good Money every Thursday morning here on Money Talk 1010. 
Thank you for listening this week, and we will see you next Thursday for another great episode. Find more content like this at Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org. Mises